0: Well, hello, and good morning. It is actually Easter Sunday, where I am at, and it's been six days since my last recording for you, and as you notice, there are no ocean waves today or any other sounds. In fact, everyone's still sleeping. I'm thinking I'm the only one up this early, um, or rather this late. Um, everybody stayed up pretty late last night kind of doing their own thing and I have two tweens that are still sleeping in and I have my other half who is playing video games and I am upstairs in my bedroom in my watching windows, I like to call it now and I'm really surprised at the amount of people that are out and about today. There's a lot of traffic on the road today. We're still supposed to be um, doing our social distancing thing, but it's also been a few weeks and I know people are desperate to be out. So we shall see what's going to happen there. Um, I'm hoping that we are beating the curve during this kind of difficult time. and. I'm really hoping that people are careful and sensible uh, based on the traffic I'm seeing, though, I don't know. Um, seeing a lot of people driving around windows down, not a lot of face masks. It's almost like today's a little vacation for a lot of people. and we are still having issue with case spreads, so hoping everyone just washes their hands and behaves. We will see what we will see. Um, Here at where I'm at we have been self-isolating now since maybe March the 11th my, my children have and here for us I think going on three weeks now so you lose you lose your grasp of time kind of like being in a casino where it's always a time but it could be any time so yeah, it's, it's difficult to stay on task, which I'm sure you can empathize. So onward and forward with our story. Sorry about that kind of long conversation there. Sometimes I talk to myself <laughs> and to you. We were reading Into the Killing Seas by Michael P. Spradling. It is a scholastic read. And I had made it to chapter 4. And I would like to continue reading on and see how far we can get. So at this point, Teddy has slipped over the side. And it looks like the big ship has been torpedoed. And Benny is, of course, very, very injured. And Patrick is trying to hold on to his brother. And there's all kinds of chaos. And there's fire and the boat is sinking or <laughs> the ship is sinking and they are on board the USS Annapolis and so there's just all kinds of mayhem going on. So we are about to dive into chapter four titled Desperation and this is Into the Killing Seas by Michael P. Spradling. Let's begin. All I could think about were Teddy's cries as he tumbled through the air, and then I realized he was going to yank me in with him. The lifeline, Patrick, the lifeline! I heard Benny shouting at me. His voice sounded so far away. Grab hold, little man, Benny's coming! The lifeline was a thick rope fence that circled the ship. It ran through a series of stashions welded to the deck, and its name said it all. It was the last barrier to keep sailors from plunging over the side of the ship in rough seas. Sorry, that's probably stanchions. Sorry about that. I still gripped Teddy tight by the ankle, but he was dragging me along with him. Teddy was only two years younger than me, but nearly the same size and weight. I was pretty sure I couldn't hold him. But once again, I listened to Benny. Ah, Teddy cried as I reached out and snatched hold of the lifeline. I hoped it was still intact. The fire could have burned through it, or it could have come apart in the explosion. But luckily for us, it held fast. I gripped the rope with all my strength as I flipped over the side of the ship. I thought my shoulder would be ripped from the socket when Teddy and I finally jerked to a stop. We dangled in the air, Teddy swinging back and forth in my hand. "'Benny, help me, please! Someone help!' I shouted. I had Teddy tied around the ankle. "'but I knew I couldn't hold him for long, "'and I wouldn't have anywhere near the strength "'to pull him back up. "'As it was, it was all I could do to grasp the lifeline. "'We were going to fall into the roiling ocean, "'and though I could hear shouting and running "'of other crewmen above, "'above me no one came to our aid, "'no one except Benny. "'Hang on, Pip Squeak. "'I'm almost there,' Benny yelled over the chaos. "'And then he was.' His scarred and burned face appeared staring down at me over the edge. Hold on, he shouted. Hurry, Benny. I can't hold him much longer. Ha! Teddy was wailing at the top of his loud and substantial lungs. Almost there, kiddo. Benny croaked. Teddy was slowly slipping from my grip. Benny looked like he could barely move, but somehow he knew we needed his strength. Benny, hurry, I pleaded with him couldn't use his hands, so he humped forward on his knees and elbows and leaned over the side. All right, kiddo, he said. You need to listen to me. Grab. I'd grab you if I could, but this bunny and mine ain't working like I want it to. So you're going to swing your leg up and hook it over the lifeline. You're going to pull You're gonna pull the both of you up, understand? I thought Benny was crazy. I didn't have the ability to hold us, let alone save us. I was terrified. Benny, no! I can't awful... "'Listen to me, Petty Boy!' he shouted, interrupting me. "'This is the only way. "'Now swing your leg up and hook this rope with it, "'and that's an order, Marine." "'I could barely breathe with the strain, "'but what choice did I have? "'It took a couple of tries, "'but somehow I willed my body to cooperate. "'That's it, Patrick,' Benny said. "'Now come, now here comes the hard part. "'On a count of three, you gotta let go of the rope "'and grab your brother with both hands. "'You're safe.' You're holding on with your leg. Now take both hands and pull him up on the stick. Do you hear me? I couldn't focus. All around me men cried out in agony, begging for help, for relief from the pain they were feeling. My shoulder was on fire from the strain of Teddy's weight, and he was wiggling and thrashing, and it was all I could do to keep him to keep from dropping him. The strange thing was that the ship was still churning through the water. Either the engines hadn't been turned off there was no one left alive in the engine room to shut them down. Just moments ago, I had seen a huge, gaping maw in the middle of the ship. The great vessel was sucking in water. The seawater was taking it down fast. This was the most horrible nightmare I could imagine. Why didn't someone turn off the engines until they'd figured out what to do? Teddy! Teddy! I shouted, coming back to the moment. Hold still! I groaned as my shoulders stretched and my hand cramped. I couldn't drop him. I'd never forgive myself. But Benny was ordering me to do something I was petrified to even attempt. I closed my eyes and I saw my mother's face. I could see her standing there at the airfield, tears forming in her eyes as the plane's engines hummed in the background. It was so loud, she had to shout to be heard, but she told me, take care of your brother. And I knew she was depending on me. I glanced up at Benny's burned and disfigured face and even through the scarred skin, I could see the determination in his eyes. Okay, Benny, I said. I'll do it. Benny counted. One, two, three. I let go of the lifeline and grabbed Teddy's leg with my free hand, and Teddy swung in my hands and banged hard against the hull of the ship. Ha! <laughs> he cried. It's okay, Teddy. Benny yelled to him. We got you. You're safe now. I heard Benny groan. He had to have been suffering horribly. He was yelling words that if Sister Mary Teresa had heard him say, he'd be in trouble for years. He wasn't going to be able to help us. I looked down. And I saw the ocean waves crashing against the side of the ship. If I didn't do something soon, Teddy and I were dead. Benny, I begged through gridded treat. I can't hold him much longer. We've got to gotta get him to help, Benny said from above. "'The best way you can take care of Teddy "'is to get him moving.' "'Teddy,' I cried. "'Teddy, listen to me. "'You gotta climb up me.' "'Like always, Teddy didn't answer. "'He just kept on wailing. "'I know you're scared,' I pleaded. "'I am too, but you have to do this. "'I'm gonna swing you, "'and you have to reach up and grab me. "'Climb back up on the deck. "'For Mom and Dad, you have to.' "'He didn't want to do it. "'I know he didn't, "'but when I started swinging us back and forth, he let out a big scream and lurched forward and upward, grabbing onto my waist. He wiggled in the air like two earthworms sorry, we wiggled on the air. we wiggled in the air like two earthworms on a fish hook. You can do it, buddy, I whispered. I was trying to be like Benny. Positive, encouraging. I know you can. You have to. And slowly Teddy pulled himself up inch by inch he rose back toward the deck and scrabbled over the side now it was my turn i was tired so tired but teddy had done something i never thought he'd be able to because we had no other choice maybe i could too almost there buddy benny shouted you gotta do it you done good now now you gotta finish the job pull come on now pull I pulled and strained every muscle in my body, and with one final effort, I swung my torso up, got a hand on the lifeline, and yanked myself up onto the deck. Teddy quickly crawled away from the edge and huddled against my side, sobbing. The three of us sprawled, exhausted, on our backs. We paused only long enough to take hold of the lifeline, and I pried Teddy's arm from around my chest and placed his hand on the rope, closing mine over his. "'It's okay now, Teddy,' I said softly. "'You're okay now.' "'The ship still listed at a very sharp angle, "'and if tilted any further, "'we could easily plunge into the sea all over again. "'As we lay there, the heat from the deck "'penetrated through my shirt, reminding me "'that the ship was going up in flames. "'Come on, boys,' Benny said. "'We can't stay here. "'I ain't heard no order yet, "'but I bet you a piece of Lindy's Cheesecake, "'the best slice in New York City. "'We've got to abandon ship.' This tub is going to sink. Just then, as if to reinforce Benny's point, the ship cracked with a loud snapping noise, and the gap midship grew wider. All around us, men were losing their footing, somersaulting down the deck and plunging into the sea. Okay, patty boy, Benny croaked, his voice sounding weaker and worse by the minute. We can't crawl all the way to the stern. We'll never make it. Everyone, hold on to that lifeline and don't let go of it for nothing. Somehow he staggered to his feet. We all grabbed onto the rope and lurched single file along the edge of the deck, dodging sailors, flames, and burning debris as we made our way to the stern. When we arrived there, we found hundreds of men gathered at the ship's railing. Some of them wore life jackets, and some didn't, but everyone wanted one. It was mass confusion two sailors had a net full of life jackets they poured onto the deck there was a mad dash to get them we were too far away through the crush of bodies to reach any especially since the men weren't being too polite about it fists were flying right and left and once they'd gotten their hands on the vests some men's were jumping straight in the water a couple of young officers stood at the stern with their hands up shouting and pleading with the men to stay on board that help had to be on the way "'There has been no order to abandon ship,' one of them shouted. "'Wait until we receive instructions,' but no one was really paying attention. Some of the men were even jumping into the water without life vests. This is what desperation looked like.' I was terrified at the thought of abandoning ship. I wasn't a good swimmer, and I didn't want to jump into the ocean. "'Benny,' I yelled over the noise, "'Can't we just stay on board? Somebody's got to be here soon to rescue us, right?' like the officer said. Can't we wait? Benny shook his head. I don't think so, sport. He said, I'm sure there's ships and planes on the way right now, but I don't think the Indy's gonna last until they get here. We gotta find us some life jackets and a raft. Hey, you, sailor, Benny hollered to a man standing in front of him. Where can we get some life jackets? The man didn't respond. I reached out and tapped him on the shoulder The man turned and looked at us and saw three miserable slaps. I was exhausted, Teddy still whimpered, and in that moment we probably looked a whole lot younger than we were, and Benny's face was horribly burned and disfigured, and the sailor's eyes widened in surprise. He sucked in a hissing breath and backed away from us into the crowd. "'Cripes,' Benny said, watching the man push himself through the crowd as if he'd just seen a ghost." Tell me true, Patty Boy. Do I look that bad? Even then, I couldn't lie to Benny. You look pretty bad. It's just burns, though. I'm sure you're going to be fine once we get you to a doctor. Maybe that was a little bit of an exaggeration. Benny looked horrible, and I was worried about him because he seemed to be weakening. I'd spent the last few years of my life watching people die in all kinds of ways. I'd seen wounded chimerks. Chimero guerrillas in the jungle that would come back hurt from a fight and slowly waste away from their injuries. American soldiers shot down by the Japanese. And all around me had been a war, death, and chaos, and I knew what it was like to watch someone die. Once the Americans retook Guam and we'd gone to live in the orphanage, we'd gotten away from it for a while, but I hadn't forgotten. And on top of everything happening all around me at the moment, I worried that Benny might be slipping away you think Greta Hayworth will still marry me when I get back home and propose Benny asked that was Benny even in the middle of a horrible disaster he was trying to keep things light she's crazy if she doesn't I answered you're a horrible liar Patrick O'Donnell don't ever get good at it kid he said come on we gotta try and find out what's going on Benny hollered and shouted at the crew as we worked our way through them a couple of sailors asked Teddy and me if we needed help we need help getting off this ship is what we need, Benny said, and where's them life jackets and rafts, but no one ever answered. They didn't seem to know what to do. I overheard one sailor tell another that the first torpedo destroyed the ship's electrical system. His shipmate answered that without it, there was no way for instructions to get out to the crew over the ship's loudspeakers. Benny herded us through the crowd. We kept asking questions and demanding answers, but each response conflicted with the last. The distress, the distress call had gone through. It hadn't gone through. The captain had given orders to abandon ship. The captain had given no such orders. He was dead. He was alive, and on the bridge, taking control of the situation right now. No one seemed to know the truth. The group at the stern was growing. In, the group at the stern was growing in size, despite orders to the contrary from the few officers there. Men continued to ignore them taking their destiny into their own hands and leaping off the bridge. But they didn't realize that even though one of the massive engines had finally died, the other was still running. With one of the with one of the Indianapolis's great propellers still turning, some of those who jumped were bludgeoned, to death or chopped into pieces. It was worse than anything I'd seen on Guam. And like I said, I'd seen plenty. Don't look, boys, don't look. Come with me, Benny said. With his burned arms, he motioned us away from the stern, and we fought our way through the mass of bodies to the port side and back towards the middle of the ship. It was less crowded there, but closer to the fire and smoke, so we huddled down low. Patrick, Benny said, listen to me. I ain't never lied to you, have I? Not since the day I first met you at Sister Mary Mary Teresa's orphanage, and you tricked me into yacking away about how big bum Hank Greenberg was far better first, main, first baseman than he told old Iron Horse himself, Lou Gehrig even with a rock head knows ain't true no Benny, I said, I was so frightened, my breath was coming out in ragged grasps, you never lied to me, well, I ain't lying to you now, I gotta believe the distress call went out I know, I know the crack on the Swabies a, I know the crack on the Swabies a lot, but the Indianapolis is a darn good ship one of the best in the whole fleet, Captain McVeigh. He has everybody trained to do their job. I've got to believe they knew what to do when that sinking sub hit us. And the first thing to do would be to send out a call for help. And I'm thinking there's ships and planes on the way. But I'll tell you true, it don't look good. I don't think this ship's going to make it. We've got to go over the side. We need to abandon ship. There's guys down there right now in life rafts and they'll pick us up. You'll see. But we got to get out to Indianapolis before she takes us down with her. You understand me? Teddy was clutching at my arm again, making his ever-present noise. Teddy understood everything he heard. He knew what was happening all the time. He just never talked. Now he was afraid and clawing at me so much, I couldn't think straight. Quiet down, Teddy, I said in the calmest voice I could muster. I needed to focus. But there was no time... I could feel the ship shaking and vibrating beneath my feet. It felt like it was going to break apart at any moment. I knew Benny was right. I looked out across the dark, tossing waves, and it was so hard to see. The sky was overcast, almost pitch black, and too dark to see anyone floating in the water. Only the fire on board gave off any light at all. But I knew Benny was right. We didn't have a choice. If we stayed on board we die. All right, Benny, I said. I'm ready when you are. All right. So that was the end of Chapter 4. And we will take just a quick little break. Well, hello and welcome back. And we are now getting ready to dive into Chapter 5. Ha, no pen intended. So, um... Again, this is a reading from Mr. Michael P. bradling We're about to begin Chapter 5, now titled, I think, for this book. This, is, um, this chapter is also titled, Into the Killing Seas. So, without further ado, Chapter 5. We took one last look around the deck to see if we could find a life jacket. At least one for Teddy. But everyone we could spot was already claimed, and the men wearing them didn't look like they'd be giving them up for anyone. The hole the torpedo had cut in the ship had widened with every snap of steel, and now the Indy was almost severed in half. Someone was shouting that one of the lifeboats had jammed on its winch. I didn't really know what that meant, only what it meant for us. We were probably going into the water, whether I liked it or not. I'm not a good swimmer, Benny, I said, starting to lose my nerve. I'm scared. I wasn't ready for this after all. It was a bad idea. It's all right, pipsqueak, Benny said. We ain't got to swim nowhere. All we got to do is tread water until help arrives. You can do that, right, buddy? I was beginning to think I couldn't do it. Back in Guam, when I'd had, when I'd heard that Indianapolis was leaving for the Philippines, all I could think about was getting back there to find my parents. Now I was on a ship that was going down like the Titanic, and I was terrified. Why? had so much awful stuff happened. We were really the most unlucky kids on God's green earth. Wasn't it bad enough that Teddy and I... Wasn't wasn't it bad enough what Teddy and I had been through already? Can't do it, Benny, I said. I'm not going to be able to swim. Sure you can, sport, I promise. I promise you, someone out there right now in the raft, one of them is floating on nets, and, and once we'll give them a shout and they'll come right to us, I promise you, champ for the first time since I'd met him, I doubted Benny. If the guy selling me on this crazy plan had been Benny at his best, Benjamin Franklin Point Dexter, Private First Class, United States Marine Corps, I would have been fine. But this was burned and wounded. And he couldn't help us much if we got into trouble down there. No, Benny, I can't do it, I said. It's all right, Ace, he said, trying to stand up straight. I understand. We'll wait until we get... Benny stopped mid sentence and I looked at him to see what was wrong. He was staring at a wooden pallet, leaning against one of the gun emplacements on the deck. It was about six feet long and four feet wide, and I followed Benny over to it and looped my arm through the pallet when he ordered me to pick it up. What are we doing, Benny, I asked, but he didn't answer. He had a weird look in his eyes. Teddy glanced at him, then back at me, and his hand shooting out to grab my free one. It was getting pretty it Was getting pretty sick of taking Benny's orders without explanation. Maybe this is what it really felt like to be a marine. Benny was pacing now. He looked pretty agitated. I turned me and Teddy around. I just needed a moment to think. As scared as I was of the water, Benny was scaring me more. He looked determined and confused all at the same time. But before i could figure out why the ship jerked on its side again and something smacked me in the back of the head penny what are you i screamed as i flew over the side of the ship teddy i shouted it was the last word and it was barely out of my mouth before i saw my not so little brother and that big wooden pallet were following right behind me the ship was listing so badly it wasn't as long a drop as it normally would have been i hit the surface but the worst billy smacker I'd ever felt in my life, and all the air rushed out of my lungs. I plunged beneath the water surface, hoping to avoid Teddy and the pallet. but I sucked in a great mouthful of water, and I heard a loud splash above me, and something whacked me hard on the shoulder, and then somehow I rose to the surface and coughed up all that seawater. Heads up, Pip squeak I heard Benny shout, Duck! I looked up to see Benny flying through the air, he was going to land right on top of me. Without thinking, I dove under once again. When I bobbed to the surface, Benny and Teddy were there in the water right beside me, the waves raising and lowering us like quarks. The pallet floated next to Benny, who'd hooked his arm through it. Here, this here pallet's going to be our raft, boys, Benny said. No matter what, we ain't going to let go of it. Understand, you hang on to it like you never hung on to anything in your life. You pushed me into the water, I screamed at him. You didn't. I didn't. You fell when the ship killed over. Now hold on to the raft, Patty boy, Benny said. No, I'm not going. I'm not doing anything you say anymore. The waves were running high, and when one of them crashed into me, I swallowed more water, and it hit my stomach and came right back up. As I coughed and retched, Benny paddled over to me, and the next thing I knew, my arms were resting on the pallet, holding my head above water. Patrick, calm down now. I'm sorry for what happened to you up there, but you had to get off that ship. Teddy was clinging to the pallet like a squirrel on an oak tree. His eyes were wild and he was sobbing, and the waves were driving us, driving us back towards the side of the ship. You push me. I you already said that sport, and I get you're mad. You want to believe that? Fine, but we got a whole lot of worse things to worry about right now almost on cue i heard a snapping sound and another big piece of the ship broke off in the center snapped off and plunged beneath the surface the men who were gathered at the stern howled even louder than before now they were jumping into the water by the dozens the ship the ship listed again and twisted further towards us Patty boy teddy you gotta paddle now now we gotta get away from the ship or it'll drag us down with come on Come on now don't let go of this pallet and kick those legs as hard as you can i was frightened not too frightened to remember that i was mad at benny for pushing me in the ocean but enough that i knew that i had to listen to him now i didn't want that ship to fall on us or for us to get sucked under the water so i kicked with all my might and the pallet slowly moved away from the sinking cruiser harder boys benny shouted we've got to get farther away every part of my body hurt and i was exhausted but my legs kept moving even teddy seemed to understand grasping the pallet like it was a paddleboard and kicking away like a racehorse but the ship was snaking over on its side the waves were high and heavy and they kept pushing us back we weren't going to make it come on phyllis benny pleaded I always heard you Detroit boys was tough. This ain't tough. You're swimming like a bunch of pansies. You gotta kick those legs like United States Marine Corps. Go, like the Marine Corps does. Go, go, go. He was pushing us hard. It just made me even angrier at him. But I guess that's what I needed in that moment. Anger forcing me to prove to Benny that I wasn't, wasn't weak. That I was tough. I furiously kicked my legs and we gained distance from the ship. The pallet was unwieldy and hard to maneuver, but slowly, we cut through the waves. That's it, Benny prodded. Now we're doing it. As we were about to crest another wave, the loud, wrenching sound of the middle behind us told us that the ship had finally rolled onto its side. It made a huge splash before I could do anything. The suction of the ship sinking below the water jerked me away from the pallet, and I tried to take a breath before I went under, but all I got was a mouthful of salt water, and the last thing I heard... Was Benny shouting my name? Okay, that was a kind of short chapter, so on to chapter six, which is titled One Last Thing. Chapter six. Down I went. I was wrapped in an air bubble, but I didn't dare try to breathe. On Guam, I heard sailors talk about this very thing happening. When a ship sunk, it created suction all around it and pulled down anything that was near. I used to go by the port and listen to the sailors tell stories to each other. One guy had been talking about being on board the USS Hanneman, which was sunk in the Battle of Midway. Got caught in an air bubble, he said. That old tub wanted to pull me right down to Davy Jones' locker with her. But I said, no, thank you, Captain Jones, and managed to kick my way back up. Almost didn't make it. I realized that's what was happening to me. Pieces of debris from the ship, chunks of wood, and broken railing were rising up from below like rockets shooting into the sky and crashing into me. Murky, dark masses clouded the water, leaking diesel fuel, I guessed. But strangely enough, I could see something past it, a fire still raging through the portholes of the ship. There must have been some airlift in the dogged-off section amid the interiors. The flames continued as the giant iron beast sank towards the ocean floor. Other than the soft glow of the firelight, the ocean was black as night. I tried mightily to pull myself upward, but now the suction was far too strong. I felt helpless and tired. I pumped my legs until I had no strength left. I kicked and kicked. It was no good. My legs were exhausted, and I sank even deeper into the dark water. I'm not sure when the realization came to me I was going to die. What does somebody do when they're going to die and they know it? From the first night the Japanese attacked Guam, and for the next two years, I'd been like someone who died nearly every day. But I never really wondered what what they thought about when it was happening to them. Some of them cried. Some of them shrieked. Some of them accepted their death quietly. Some, like Sister Felicity, never knew what hit them. It was just the end, and that was all, I guess. I just I just put it out of my mind, never figuring what I'd do when my time came. I didn't know what to do. Should I pray? Sister Marie Therese was were there. She'd say I should ask God for forgiveness for my sins. Should I apologize to my mother because I hadn't done what I'd promised? I hadn't taken care of Teddy like she asked me to? What would happen to Teddy? Would he drown in the heaving ocean, as I was about to do? I thought a million things in those few seconds. My lungs were about to burst. I couldn't hold my breath any longer. My eyes were burning from the salt water, and I wanted to cry, but I was too afraid to even do that. I would hold on to my last breath. Some day when we met in heaven, my mother would know I tried. To my last breath, I tried. And then I heard it, that faint sound of a familiar voice calling my name. and something came over me, that voice was calling me home. It pleaded with me and I couldn't resist answering. I started pushing and kicking against the water with the energy I'd sworn I didn't have. At last the air bubble separated from the relentless downward pull of the ship and I darted towards the surface. Below me, the last flickering flames of the ship were fading to black. Faster and faster I bed upward until i burst out of the water and shot several feet into the air before i splashed back down again like those broken pieces of ship that had bombarded me only moments earlier the sea had swallowed me and now it was spinning me back out i sucked in a great heaving lungful of air before a wave crashed into me knocking me under again but nothing was pulling me down now and i kicked my way back to the surface it was still dark and i couldn't see anything I furiously dreaded water, and then I heard that familiar voice again. Patty Boy, Patrick O'Donnell of Detroit, Michigan, you call out, sound off right now. Benny bellowed. His voice was raw, hoarse and raw, like he'd swallowed broken glass. But he was shouting as loudly as he could. I'm here, Benny. Patty Boy, I'm here. Another wave crashed into me, knocking the words from my mouth. And I tumbled over the water again and decided right then that I really hated the ocean, really hated it a lot. I emerged again and tried to get into a rhythm with the rising and falling waves, so I didn't get swamped every second. Benny was still yelling my name. Patrick! I'm here, Benny! I'm here! Where are you, Squeak? In the ocean somewhere, it's pitch black. How am I supposed to know where I'm at? I was still a little shook up from almost drowning. I probably shouldn't have taken it out on, on Benny, but still. Patty boy, you gotta try to swim to my voice. Come on now, you can do it. I can't, Benny. Too tired. I almost drowned. I can't. Like always, Benny refused to give up. You listen. You listen to me. You will not drown in this ocean. Benjamin Franklin, Point Dexter private class, first United States Marine Corps, will not allow it. Is that clear to you, Marine? You will promise me right now at this very moment that you are not going to drown. Or are you going to survive? You are going to survive. Is that clear? Sound off. Benny had turned into his old self. Well, maybe his old self, if he'd ever become a drill instructor. When I didn't answer right away, he started cursing again, and calling my name. I kept trying to tread water, but I was so tired. If only I'd gotten my hands on one of those life jackets. Patrick! Benny croaked out again. The more he yelled, the worse his voice got. Benny, I can't swim anymore, I said bobbing on another wave. You can't swim anymore. Well, cry me a flippin' river, sport. You got—you think you got problems? I'm stuck on a lousy hunk of wood with your screamin' brother. I dangler got my face burnt off. So don't you sing to me none of your sob stories about how bad you got it. There's a thousand men in this ocean right now got it just as bad off as you, or worse. And that ain't countin' the ones that already did. So you quit your belly aching and you swim towards the sound of my voice. You do it now. You hear me, marine? Before I even realized what I was doing, I was dog paddling towards his voice. I don't know how to swim, Benny. I'm afraid. You don't know how to swim? You think I had a pull in the backyard on my third floor, or floor walk up in the Bronx? You kick with your legs and you paddle with your hands. Any in algebra? Now, my hands and face ain't worth the plug nickel, but my legs is working, and me and my teddy is going to kick our legs and push this pallet towards you. You keep hollering. I'll do the same. Follow my voice. Then we'll meet in the middle. I didn't answer, because I was concentrating hard on not being dunked beneath the waves and trying to figure out where Benny was in the swirling blackness of the dark sea. Patty boy, you hear me? Yeah, Benny, I'm here. can't see nothing. You gotta keep shouting so I know which way to swim, you rockhead. I don't... I can't... I was out of breath and dripping... I'm dipping underwater again. If something didn't happen soon, I wasn't going to make it. A starting lineup for the 1940 Detroit Tigers! You shouted to me, that's an order, Marine! I was spent. My arms stopped moving. Each one felt like it weighed a million pounds. A part of me wanted to just slip beneath the waves, but then I heard Teddy... Benny was somewhere close by because Teddy's ever-present wailing carried over the water. Come on, Patty Boy, you think the Motor City Kitties is so much better than the Bronx Bombers? Give me that line up. Who played catcher? Bertie Tibbetts, I shouted back. First base, Rudy York. Benny shouted, yeah, you, Rudy York, couldn't build a ground ball with a shovel, and he was still better than Bum Greenberg, who couldn't carry the iron horse jockstrap out of the way in your dreams i shouted back and i started paddling again second base third base i tried to remember my my mind wasn't working right bartell dickie bartell i hollered shortstop pinky higgins right field benny shouted closer and teddy's wailing was growing louder out there in the darkness pd fox and bruce campbell after the trade i shouted back center field benny shouted he was close now, and I rose on a wave. I thought I could see the dim outline of two figures in the water moving towards me. Barney McCoskey, I yelled. Left field, Hank Greenberg, and he won the MVP after moving to left field from first base so the team could trade for Rudy York. Did the Iron Horse ever win MVP at two different positions, Benny? I still say he's a bum, Benny's hoarse voice called back. Who's going to be starting pitcher if you're going to win one game, Pipsqueak? Come on now. We're close. I can tell. Don't you dare give up. I was nearly out of breath, and my legs were cramping badly, but Benny's voice sounded closer, and Teddy's cries were nearly drowning him out. Just a little longer, I thought to myself. Patty, who's your starting pitcher? Bobo knew some. I was panting and could hardly speak. No! Wait. Bobo had a better record that year, but but I'd give the ball to schoolboy Roe. That pressure wouldn't. I never got to finish. A wave rose up and the pallet crashed into me, nearly knocking me under again. And then there was Benny and Teddy. And Teddy even stopped crying when he realized it was me. And all I could see in the darkness were the whites of their eyes. And I grabbed the pallet and managed to pull myself up onto it so that only my legs hung in the water. You'd make a lousy manager, Pibb, squeak, Benny said picking schoolboy over bobo madness everybody knows you gotta ride the hot hand all right shall we burrow on into our chapter seven some of the dialogue is a little difficult to read i'm not a professional reader so kind of hang in here with me um this is you know just us having some time together and enjoying this kind of young adult read here. So this one is called Chapter 7 and it is The Darkest Depth and it has three little stars and underneath it it says 30 July 1945 day one. So it looks like now we're going to get a day by day rundown of what was happening in the ocean. So the Indianapolis has sunk and of course Patrick got sucked down with the ship and he was kind of riding in an air bubble but he didn't want to breathe too much. And one of the things I loved about this last chapter was that he could see through the portholes that there was still a fire burning, even though the ship was sinking. So the ship, you know, part that he was seeing was underwater. And he looked down and the ship was still on fire. Well, That's just crazy, right? And then he was saying he saw inky, dark, murky shapes in the water. And... At this point, you know, we're thinking that it's petrol. I don't think there's the sharks yet, so we'll, we'll see what we see. Okay, so, Chapter 7, The Darkest Depths, 30 July, 1945, Day 1. I'm not sure how long I lay asleep half in and half out of the water. It could have been hours or minutes, and when I came to, I was still clinging to the pallet, and Teddy was whimpering softly. "'something he often did in his fitful sleep. "'The night was still dark, but it was growing lighter far off on the horizon, "'and when the moon cracked its way through the clouds, "'I could see Benny floating along, "'his burned hands twisting in the wooden slats of our makeshift life raft. "'He groaned and muttered soft curses under his breath. "'The sea had calmed some, "'and the waves were not quite as high as they'd been before. "'Still even the smaller ones tossed us about, and I wished I could find a way to get some height and have a look around, but I was still so exhausted, my head and shoulders remained planted on the wood. As I wiped the sleep from my eyes, I realized that we weren't alone, as alone in the sea as I thought. Everywhere around us, waves, and all around us voices were yelling all at once. From the sound of it, a whole bunch of the crew had managed to abandon ship, but from their cries of, for help, it was also clear a great many of them were injured. Where's the dock? I got a wounded man here. I heard a voice call out. Doctor Every ship had at least one doctor plus several medical corpsmen. If I could find one of them, maybe they could help Benny. As if he knew I was thinking about him, he moaned, lifted his head, and looked at and looked around. Patrick. He's still there, Pip squeak. Yeah, I'm right here, Benny. Good. We're being rescued yet? No, not yet. "'The sun will beat up soon, and I hear a lot of guys yelling for help, but I don't see them, or any hope for us,' I said. "'Yeah, with these waves, I bet our guys will be scattered everywhere, hard keeping track in the dark.' "'Benny stopped talking and groaned. It sounded like he was in agony. "'What's wrong, Benny?' I asked. "'Nothing, sport. Just a rough start to the morning is all. "'I don't suspect the salt water is doing these burns. I got any good.' Sorry about that. That was kind of an unnatural break. I had an interruption here on my side. And I'm still not very good at editing um, some of these recordings. I'm still learning, so I'm working on that. So just to kind of recap, we had begun Chapter 7, called The Darkest Steps, July thirtieth, 1945, Day 1. So I'm going to read back a little bit and then start us again to finish this chapter. Chapter 7, The Darkest Steps. Pick up from our last um, drop off. Okay, here we go. So, Patrick, you still there, Pipsqueak? I'm right here, Benny, I said. Good. We're being rescued yet? No, oh, not yet. So, I'll be up soon, and I hear a lot of guys yelling for help, but I don't see them. Or any help for us, I said. Yeah, with these waves, the better guys are scattered everywhere, are keeping track in the dark. Benny stopped talking. Groaned. It sounded like he was in agony. What's wrong, Benny? I asked. Nothing sport, just a rough start to the morning is all. I don't suspect the salt water is doing these burns. I got any good. I didn't know what to say. If we were in the jungle, I could have found lots of things to help Benny. Fresh water and plants would help heal his burns, and mud packed on the wounds would stop infection and ease the pain. The tomorrow taught me a lot of things about survival and living off the land, and the jungle, not in the middle of the ocean. But maybe one of Benny's shipmates could help him. Their voices sounded like they were coming from all direction. Where's the do- doctor? Husky Void shouted again. I think that's glossy, Bessie, Benny whispered. He'd mentioned the Marine from Chicago before. Voice sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard. No one's seen him, another sailor answered back. "'but I know he made it off the ship. "'Doc, doc, you out there?' "'I heard someone answer, but they were too far away to understand. "'That's him, the doc,' Colossi said. we got to swim towards him. "'I've got a wounded man here.' "'Help! Over here!' I shouted. "'Who goes there?' A voice came back. "'We're hurt. There's an injured Marine here,' I said. "'No one answered. "'Listen up, pipsqueak.' "'Benny Rasp. I know Colossi. I don't like him. He's trouble.' I think you ought to stay away from him and his bunch until, sunup. up, find someone else out there. Capiche? Benny groaned, and though it was dark and nearly impossible to see, I had the sense that he had passed out again. At any rate, he was silent. I thought about what he said. He didn't like Sergeant Stinkovitz back on the ship, and Stinkovitz seemed like a jerk, and now he was telling me to stay away from this guy. Maybe I should listen to him. What if Colossi and his friends tried to take the pallet away from us? What would we do then? More men shouted out to each other from somewhere. The noise and size of the waves made it difficult to determine where their voices were coming from. It still wasn't light enough to see much, but I had an idea. Benny! He groaned incoherently. Benny! I shouted. What? He said. I could tell I startled him awake. Can you swim? Paddle, I mean? Help me push the pallet through the water? I don't know, buddy, he said. I'm plumb wore out. If I could rest a while, I might be able to help. Why? Because I just heard more of the crew shouting over there about the doctor, and he got off the ship with the rest of the survivors. If we can find him, maybe he can treat your barns. That's a real good idea, Peep Squeak. You're thinking like a marine, making an assessment of your tactical situation, choosing your course of action. But here's the thing. Your troops is done in, Patty boy. Teddy's true rung out to help, and as much as it pains Benjamin Franklin Point Dexter private class first United States Marine Corps, to say it, I ain't fit for duty right now. Besides, I bet the doctor's waiting room is full up right now. A Lot of wounded he's got to tend to. Assuming it was even him, the swabby's heard. We should just wait here. Someone will be along to rescue us soon, he said. Something was different in Benny. Never once could I remember him saying no to, not to doing a thing, or that we weren't going to find a way to accomplish what we set out to do. Benny was always upbeat and positive, except for Swabies, Tojo, Hirohito, Hank Greenberg, and Sergeant Stinkovitz. He had never had anything bad to say about anything. You now he was making up a reason, an excuse not, not to try, not to try something, and I figured it was my turn to get him going. You always told me Marines never give up, I said. <laughs> now, whoa, whoa, whoa! Benny was almost whispering. His voice was so weak. Midget was spouting off upon about quitting. I ain't saying that. We ain't giving up—not one bit. But even squared-away Marines gotta rest and regroup before the next fight. Best thing we can do is hunker down and wait till daylight, when the rescue ships and the planes will be here, and then we'll get plucked right out of this giant bathtub like a rubber duck. I just. I just think we need to rest and we need to just be calm until then. All right, Petty Boy, I guess I said, but I wasn't convinced Benny was right. I was thinking about the chaos on board the ship when the torpedoes hit and how fast Indianapolis went down. I remembered some of the crew saying that nobody knew for sure if the distress call went out, how the communication system got all blown up when it first hit. Nobody even knew when to abandon ship because the speakers didn't work. I wasn't sure Benny was thinking clearly. Maybe no one was coming for us, at least not for a while. I rested for a few minutes. The pallet was doing an emerald job of keeping me afloat, and I had no idea which direction was which, but there in the light was a light starting to break off the horizon to my left, so I knew that it must be east. I heard some guys shouting something not glossy, some some voices I didn't recognize coming from behind me. I was reminded again about the doctor. If Benny and Teddy couldn't help, it didn't matter. I could. I walked away to Teddy's side of the pallet and started kicking with my legs, pushing it slowly towards the sound of voices. I wasn't making much progress, but it was something. After a while, I was getting closer. The voices were getting louder, clearer, and suddenly I could make out what the men were shouting. Dozens of them. They weren't calling for the doctor anymore. They were screaming for their lives. No, dear God, no. I heard a single voice cry out, help, someone, please help me. More voices joined in, and I heard a high-pitched, almost squeaky voice from somebody who sounded like a young, who sounded very young and terrified. A gruff, hoarse cry, probably someone from New York because he sounded like Benny, only with a deeper tone. And then a southern accent shouted out in horror, joining an overwhelming chorus of screams, and they sounded as if they were being tortured, and then I heard the youngest-sounding voice spilled out, the reason for their alarm, and I instantly grew terrified of myself. Sharks! he yelled. Everywhere! Look out! His words died in his throat, and he made the most horrifying anguish sound i ever heard. On Guam, when someone was shot, the death usually came quickly. A bullet ripped into someone's chest, and that was it for them. Or sometimes in the jungle, we had to leave our wounded behind, because when you're being hunted by the Japanese Imperial Army, silence silence is life, and noise, noise is death. And the wounded tend to make noise. I tried not to think about the ones we'd abandoned. The Japanese always caught up with them quickly. Usually, you'd hear a single gunshot, And then the cries would stop. Now it was sharks, and there were sharks in the water. And from the sound of it, they were all around those men. I stopped paddling, floated there, waiting for someone, anyone, to tell me what to do. Benny was too far gone at that moment to realize what was happening. And then, from below the surface of the water, something hard and scaly brushed against my leg. The sharks had found us. And just like the other men had, I screamed. Because that's a kind of creepy ending to Chapter 7. And I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger. (laughs) So I will be posting this so that you can enjoy this. And we'll try to do maybe more recordings so that you're not waiting too long to post the next chapters um, and get that up for you. So thank you for joining me this afternoon. And I hope that you have a great evening or day or morning or whatever time it is. And we will join you again to finish, well, to read a little deeper into uh, our story written by Michael Peace Bradley. Again, Into the Killing Seas. So I hope you enjoyed that and we will continue next time. Bye! <laughs>